to Breaking Down Bits, a conversation about great comedy bits with the comedians who wrote and performed them. All right, welcome to Breaking Down Bits. My name is Brian Gendron. And I'm Drew Jordan. And we are two newer comics that are here to learn about comedy. Drew, how are you doing today? I'm good, man. I'm back in Houston. I'm no longer in my parents' uh, in my childhood bedroom for a bit. Um, so I'm excited to, uh, to keep this train running. I had an amazing conversation with uh, Andy Huggins last week. That was crazy awesome. We did, yeah. And actually, that's a good time for us to get into callbacks, which is where we revisit what we learned from our last show with Andy. Uh, what I learned, Drew, and something I put to practice is in my writing, uh, Andy talked about writing what you feel because <laughs> laughter is an emotional response. So I went back right. to my set and line by line tried to identify what my feeling was in that bit and tried to use that to write additional material and explore the jokes a little further. That sounds super productive. I think I just looked over my notes and sobbed uncontrollably. Uh, that, that's generally what I know. I think honestly, like to me, um, the one thing I took was super basic and maybe kind of dumb, but just a reminder to sit my butt down and actually write something every day. Like there's almost no tip that's better than that to me because like he said, you need to work the junk out so that you can get the gems here and there. Um, that's just, to me, it's super basic, but I, I don't think you can say that enough. Well, great. And if you have not gone back and listened to that episode, please find us on Breaking Down Bits. You can get us on Apple, Google, Spotify. We put it together on YouTube. We've made it very easy for you to find it. So go out there and get it. Drew, let's, I think it's time we introduce our guest today. Let's do it. Uh, today on the podcast, uh, so much going on with this guy, uh, Joel Byers. Let's watch a quick video. Joel Byers is a comedian, writer, and podcast host in Atlanta, Georgia. He's written for Comedy Central, The Weather Channel, and is the author of his own book, Finding Your Funny. His podcast, Hot Breath, has featured hundreds of conversations with some of comedy's best writers and performers. A 10-year veteran of stand-up comedy, Joel recently independently released his first comedy special, Trophy Husband. He is so handsome, and he is joining us right now. Let's bring him in. Joel Byers, how are you, sir? Now, all right, we're here now. Hey, all right. Mr. Joel Byers. We made right. it, everyone. We made it. <laughs> Thanks did. for having me, Brian and Drew. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Hey, so, so Joel, you've been running hot breath for a long time. This is our second episode. Can we take you back to what was it, 2015 or something like that when you were starting this thing out? Yeah, five years ago, I started off interviewing my buddy Rob Hayes, who has now been on Fallon and Comedy Central, and he's a writer on Sherman Showcase and done a bunch of cool stuff. But it all started with just me interviewing my comedian friends and really showcasing Atlanta comedy and it's now evolved into an international comedy platform really whoa name drop <laughs> we, need, we need a drop for that no yeah the, hey Joel it is and, and honestly uh you're one of the people out there that is uh, in my opinion is doing more for comics and emerging comics than anybody I've seen and really using these platforms like podcasts like Facebook to do it so 
uh, bless, we, you know, thank you so much for doing that for all of us. Oh, well, thanks for doing this great show as well. And uh, Brian, just to reciprocate, I mean, you, when I came through on my trophy husband tour last year, you yes. came up to me at a show in Houston at just out of the blue. And we're like, I love what you're doing with hot breath. And then like Houston really showed a lot of love. Like there's a lot of hot brethren and sister in Houston. I found out coming through there, but Brian, you were really one of the first people that ever came up to me and was just like, keep going. It's amazing. So I appreciate that. And you gave me a sticker for it, so I'm glad I did it. Yay now. <laughs> hey now. Yeah, sweet <laughs> merch. That's right. He's handing out that merch. So important. So, uh, and here's one other quick note. You know, you're in Atlanta. We're in Houston. What's great about what we're doing is, is we're cutting through the, you don't need to be in LA. You don't need to be in New York uh, to, to be able to participate, get your name out there, make relationships, like you said, internationally. Uh, so we're able to do that from some of these cities that aren't well as, as, as uh, I guess, littered with industry as some of the, the more known cities. Yeah, and me 10 years into comedy, I was always very intentional about not moving to an L.A. or New York, but to do everything from Atlanta just to show other comics that it is possible for you to create your own success without having to move for some sort of validation. Exactly. That's what we all seek is validation, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it's like Rob, uh, my buddy Rob Hayes, he's had great success. He was actually a comic who did make the leap. He did move to New York. He was living in an apartment with like four other people. And like, you know what I mean? So he lived, he has lived that life and paid his dues. So I don't begrudge anyone's journey and their decision on if they do want to move to an LA or New York. But for me personally, I've always been obsessed with the independent route and just really build it and they will come mentality. And, you know, I want other comics to adopt that mindset to just, you don't have to wait. You can create that success now. That's awesome. Cause I mean, there's so many of us that do live in these smaller markets where the, co where the comedy scene is just not quite as big or not quite as well known. There's less chance to just brush shoulders with someone who's going to put you on you know, some huge platform. So, mm -hmm. and I, I love the fact that you independently, I'm assuming self-produced your special. Um, I mean, we've seen some great success people doing that. Uh, like Sam Morrill or how, I forget, I'm terrible at how to pronounce yeah. his name, mm -hmm. but like what incredible success of someone just going their own route and just, it kind of blew up. So kudos to you for just making it happen and fighting through and learning or creating a team or whatever it took to make that happen. That is stinking awesome. Thank you. Yeah, it was all self-produced. I actually had the intention of recording an album, but then I was a fan of the podcast, had me on his show. And then we were talking about the album. And then afterwards, he was like, you know, I have a video production company. He's like, we could just make this a special. So it all organically happened just from circumstance of meeting another listener and fan of hot breath that then it turned from a comedy album into a full, full blown comedy special. Also love the fact I only had a chance to look at a, watch a little bit of it, but I love the behind the scenes kind of documentary style. Mm -hmm. That's so smart. I was like, my brain was like, duh, why would you not do this? If you're, you know, you have the podcast, let's uh, that's a side of comedy you don't see. And maybe I'm just a super nerd over that stuff, but loved the fact that you were sharing the behind the scenes steps that took you to recording that special. Uh, so just once again, uh, just I love the, the fact that you're sharing all this stuff. You're so vulnerable. 
like n- not many people would share open mic uh, <laughs> video <laughs> yeah. just for everybody. Like, hey, check this out. This this joke totally bombed here, but it gets better. Just wait. <laughs> yeah, that, and that's why I picked this bit we're going to talk about today is because, I mean, he did. He followed me around for like two or three weeks leading up to the taping, showing me prepare and pretty much like hone this bit that we're going to talk about today. So there's there's way more footage. Like the the first few episodes of that like documentary I was able to get out really just scratched the surface of that of what we were able to capture. But it's just like you, one bite at a time, especially when it's you know um, that independent hustle. It really is just like one bite at a time. But I tried to at least get three episodes out to give a taste of it but there's definitely more to be shared with that behind the scenes nice well we definitely want to get into that bit but first let's back up and just hit some some really basic questions let's start off with i try to just think about this in the most open-minded sense how does joel byers write comedy well i'm definitely a pen to paper uh comic still even 10 years in um I hear a lot of comics, you know, I write on stage and I remember um, Andy, uh, your previous guest was talking about, he's a pen to paper guy versus writing on stage as well. And that's just how my brain works. Um, And pen to paper means it could be something as simple as like journaling, or it could be something as simple as looking more for like one liners or set up punches and actually using techniques beyond just like a broad journal. But I have found like, the more I've gotten on stage, the more confident I've gotten, the more comfortable I've gotten to explore ideas on stage. But if I don't do the work off stage, I don't have something to talk about on stage. So it isn't like one or the other. There really is um, a relationship between me writing off stage and it helps me to write on stage. But it all comes down to generating ideas off stage, trying them out on stage, and then reviewing what happened on stage and rewriting and assessing that way. But it's a whole kind of three tier system, then write, perform, and then rewrite. Makes a lot of sense. You got to work that feedback loop. So many people press record and then never, me guilty as well, never yeah, go too. back and listen to it. Mm-hmm. Unless, yeah. unless, I, unless I knew it was good. Then I'm like, oh, I want to go back and of get it. Of course. You're like, well, of course <laughs> I am the best to ever do it. <laughs> but what I've learned with myself and what I've found in interviewing over 200 comics is everyone has their own process. And I learned with what works for me in reviewing because I mean, every comic struggles with that at every level. Um, for Mark Norman say he should review his sets more, you know, and he's that meticulous like math joke writer. And he says things like that, but I knew, and I know that if I don't listen right after the show, like if I don't listen to my set on the way to the next set or on the way home from that set, I'm not going to. And I I have had to release that stress from my brain of like, oh, I'll listen after. Oh, I didn't. I'll do it in the morning when my brain is fresh. Oh, I didn't. I'll do it on my lunch break. And then we can just start to get in that negative feedback loop of next time, next time, next time. But like, same thing. If I don't write in the morning, all right, I didn't write that day. Like I release that stress of I'll do it at lunch or I'll do it before dinner. I'll do it after dinner. I'll do it before bed. We can always beat ourselves up. But I am huge on just like, small incremental victories and that'll then snowball into a big difference. But even like in, um, in the Facebook group, we do a write 10 club where we write for 10 minutes. Like it's just a small attainable goal that'll then build up over time. But I've, I've had to learn over the years to stop 
beating myself up. And if I don't listen to the set right after the set, oh, okay, I didn't listen to that set. I'll be sure to listen to the next one and be more intentional about it. But I, I don't beat myself up. And it's, it took me, trust me, seven, eight years to come to that realization of like not beating myself up about not being perfect. Mm. And it's just all about like progress, not perfection. Perfect. Well put. Yeah. And, and I love the writing tip or the, the tip of listen to it on your way home. Damn it. Just do it. Yes. <laughs> That's perfect. And if you want to be a professional comic, it's like, okay, what would a professional comic do in this situation? They would most likely listen to it. So it's just having to put yourself in that mindset of where do I want to be? Okay. Well, what would that level of comic look like? And then start to adopt those habits. Exactly. And then the, the next thing you just referenced is this right 10 club. And I've participated a few times, incredible uh, that you're doing that in the community that you've created around that. And if you're not familiar with what it is, it basically picks a new word, uh, which is a writing prompt. So we call it a writing prompt. Mm -hmm. And, and then everybody writes for 10 minutes and then you select the winner. And what you're doing there is it's, it's joke calisthenics. You're, you're, yep. you're exercising, you're working with a writing team and uh, man, what a, what a great platform. Every time I do that, I'm inspired to write more when I, when I do attend. Yeah. And it all started here. We've done over 120 now and it all started like in quarantine. It's mm -hmm. like, okay, it's going to be tough to write every day. I need some sort of social accountability. So I started live streaming it and then it grew into this Facebook group that is now like an international writing community of we're now, I mean, we, we keep tipping the scales and hitting higher scores. We, this week we hit over 70 people in there and it's comics from every continent. There's comics except Antarctica. We're going to get Antarctica, <laughs> but it's, comics from around the world all coming together and writing for 10 minutes and then sharing feedback with each other. And it's, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's really that whole Facebook group has become like the comedy scene I wish existed where it's comedians helping each other win. And that's, that's what I'm all about in that group is just positivity, support community. It's working. Yeah, Thanks, that's, Brian. That's super awesome. So to narrow down a little bit, not talking about how you write, like just in general, mm -hmm. how do you, how, what goes through your head as you prepare for a set, whether, you know, knowing maybe, you know, some of the details about the set, what's, what's going on in your head as you kind of put the pieces together for what jokes you're going to do and you're going to prep for this set. What's, what's going on in your head? Well, a big mistake comics make is that they try too many things at once in a set where especially if you're doing a lot of writing, you're super excited about trying everything. But then if you try everything, you end up getting nothing accomplished because you maybe the first one doesn't work and then you lose confidence and you maybe start forgetting the next one. And then by the end of the set, you're like, well, that was a disaster. So <laughs> I'm very intentional about like just setting a single goal for the set. Cause I mean, they add up, you've got to live on stage. I mean, that's, that's the number one thing to learn comedy. You've got to perform it type deal. So the sets will accumulate. So it's just picking each set and creating a singular goal. Is it trying a new tag? Not even an entire new bit. Maybe it's just a new tag to an older joke. Or maybe it is just like the beginning of a new bit. Or maybe it's I want to try an act out. I don't really know the wording of it or anything. But I just want to try to get bold on stage and be loud in this moment. And those little bitty challenges will over time become a big like a big game changer for your comedy, but it's starting with 
one goal at a time. Early on, I, um, I got advice from a comic saying that you need to remember to breathe. He said, young comics forget to breathe on stage a lot. (laughs) So there's one of these open mics where it's like all comics at a bar at 1130 and no one's there. I made my goal pretty much for that month to just focus on breathing at that open mic. And there were moments like I would literally say a joke and then audibly inhale and exhale, not worried about what people are thinking, just literally, okay, this is a room where I can do this. And I just focused on just breathing intentionally. And that helped me tremendously long-term of slowing down and remembering to breathe. But every, every set I do, it, it really comes down to just what is my one goal of this? And it, whether it works or it doesn't, if I did it, victory. Uh, yeah, okay, we get it. It's a big plug for your Hot Breath podcast. <laughs> we get it. Hot Breath on iTunes and Spotify. He's got a podcast, people. He breathes hot YouTube breath. as well. It's on YouTube, and, and YouTube as well. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> but it's important for comics to remember, you know, like you don't want to, you don't have to boil the ocean with every set. It's just one set at a time. True like that that's really good. lower the bar lower the bar and that's my whole strategy <laughs> <laughs> we had uh we had one comment from somebody from the, the hot breath of verse uh bob jorgensen you know very well he talked he said that word economy and i agree is is one of your better lessons that he's learned from you joel so oh great yeah that's a big thing uh, i've noticed in the right 10 club is yeah a lot of the comics that are in there every single day they used to post like a paragraph and now they've been able to start whittling it down to like those tight one-liners just through awareness of how to start tightening your jokes and then to actually put it into practice. And writing is a muscle. That's my favorite analogy for writing is like writing is a muscle and it's just the more you exercise it, the stronger it gets. It's all it takes. Just reps. Drew hates exercise. I, um, yeah, we're not going to get into that. I, <laughs> did you look at my Twitter this morning, Brian? <laughs> uh, okay. So we're almost to stage. We're almost ready to look at your set. Uh, mm-hmm. so let's, let's, let's walk through this next step. What are you doing right before you get on stage? Oh, uh, set list. So I'm in my head on my set list the whole time. Um, and that's been since the beginning. Like since I started, I used my and my set lists have evolved. Like they used to um, be literally word for word. I would pretty much just annotate my set before I went up and performed it. And now over time, it's evolved into more of just keywords and things like that. But always, always, always making a set list. I have a bin of like the notebooks I've carried around and things like that. But it, always creating a set list and just keeping in the mindset of why I am there. Sometimes I'm doodling in there, maybe doing a little drawing, but I'm keeping the plate spinning and not really out, hanging out, you know, after the set, that's cool, but you're there to, you're there for a certain job. You're there to achieve that goal you set for that set. So I'm very intentional about, all right, if I'm going to leave my house, if I'm going to be out till 1am to do this five minute open mic in front of three people, two of which work there and the other one is a homeless person looking and he's hosting an open mic I don't know why but it's all for the sake of being there intentionally and it all comes down to that set list that's still kind of even before my uh, my comedy special I was um and I brought I brought some fun you know I brought some fun I have a whole folder of um 
stuff I kept up with for like, it's a trophy husband folder of all the different like preparation and details I went through with, um, with that. And like, so this is like the set list I made before my, um, my comedy special. Wow. And it's usually on a smaller pocket notebook, but for this one, I was just like intentional about really mapping it out visually so I could just like see it better when I was up there, I guess. But, um, yeah, this was like before, before the, the taping, I was in the green room, like creating, uh, this is the set list for the, the trophy husband special. Joe, that is a mess. <laughs> <laughs> that, but that's why I tell people when they see my notebooks, I'm like, Hey, if you can't read it, you can't steal it. Have, have y'all seen, have y'all seen, <laughs> uh, have y'all seen Jesselnik's latest special? He had like a video, a short clip that he put together of his evolving set list. It's kind of neat to, Oh to yeah, see. that was very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I did see that. Mm-hmm. I, I was curious. Uh, I know we don't, we don't have forever to just sit here. We want to get to the clip in just a second, but yeah. do you have any tips on remembering a Ooh. set list? I, I struggle so much with this. Like I've seen people make little anagrams of the first letters. I've, you know, write it out by hand. I struggle with that. I, for some reason I'm used to uh, my professional backgrounds radio. We always have all our notes in front of us, always ready. Uh, what do you do to remember that stuff, especially a full hour long set? Yeah. Uh, rehearsal is a big component for me. And that's since the early days, like and rehearsal, maybe it's um, on the way to the show I'm rehearsing, whether it's maybe when I'm taking a shower, I'm rehearsing. And by rehearsing, I mean, actually like saying the whole set out loud, um, even for this com for uh, the comedy special, you know, we got to the venue early. Uh, we were very like, we want to make sure all the video and everything was set up, but also I went there and while they were setting up video, I was on stage going through the entire set as if it were the performance in front of an empty room, but yeah. rehearsing it to that detail. I've heard Nate, Nate Bargatze told us when we did a Q and a with him, like he'll, he'll go through bits while he's washing dishes and things like that. And I think what'll help you in the rehearsal side is also, um, I like to do rehearsal while being distracted by something. So if it is, um, I'm driving, I'll have the radio up real loud because when you're on stage, you're going to most likely be distracted by something. So if you rehearse like how the show will be, I think that helps you to remember. And then the more you do it, you know, it starts to become lyrics and you start to remember the rhythm of them that way. But rehearsal has always been a big component for how I remember material. Nice. All right, so, Joe, we're going to go get to the clip. Last question, just tell us a little bit about some context about this particular show for our listeners. Yeah, well, the bit we're going to talk about is uh, the one we really documented the entire process of the first time I ever did it on stage to then seeing it at uh, the comedy special taping. But it's probably the most personal story I've ever told. It's probably the longest and my biggest swing at storytelling, which now that I've gotten, you know, I've been doing comedy 10 years. A lot of these bits evolve through that and um, the structure's there and they are personal. But now in this next chapter of my career, I do want to start getting into these more personal, longer stories, which was so great. We just did a Q&A with Kyle Kinane and he broke down his storytelling process. But he even said that you've got to start first by understanding how to write a simple joke. 
you got to understand the structure before you then start to break it type deal. So he's one of the best storytellers in the comedy. And he was even saying, but it all starts with learning how to make a joke, how to make a silly misdirect. And then you can start to get in the more personal broad strokes and longer, you know, 15 minute stories. So this was really my first attempt at a personal embarrassing experience where uh, I cried at my wedding and like bald, like, uh, like the, the, the detail that didn't make it into the story because I couldn't figure out a way to make it uh, fit because this is, I'm, I've tried to cobble this together in like three weeks, you know, like, or three or four weeks, um, this story, but like my efficient, who was a comedian friend of mine, he actually booed me. I was crying so much. Um, like he was like, come on, homie, boo. And it, that's just like one of those fleeting details that like, we're, we're like, Oh, I should just say that on stage and it should work. But then, you know, as comics, uh, it can work off, but how do I translate it on the stage? And I just didn't have time to fit that detail into it and it worked cohesively into the story. But like, um, it, it that I, I really did cry a lot and it was, it's, it's embarrassing. And, um, I thought it would be a great, um, <laughs> signature bit of my comedy special. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, uh, you, you're, you're, let's get right into it. Let's hear about Joel crying uncontrollably. But you live and learn. That's what I've learned. And I tell you what, after two years of marriage, you know, I did my research first. I asked a bunch of married friends for advice. Uh, anyone thinking about getting married, don't do that. No married man endorses it. I've never heard a married man be like, dude, you gotta get married today. <laughs> what are you waiting for, dude? They're always more hesitant. Always more like, <sighs> take your time, man. Maybe have kids first. Take some baby steps into this. So those were friends though. I thought I would ask my grandparents for advice. They've been married over 60 years. I was like, oh, they gotta know something. Best marriage advice I've ever gotten. I asked Granny and Grandpa the secret to marriage. Grandpa jumps in, well, Jaywell, it's a lot of hard work. And then Granny jumps in, and harder liquor. I thought they were soulmates. They're just drinking buddies. I wish someone warned me about the wedding planning though. Oh my, I would rather plan a divorce. <laughs> no one warned me of the interrogation that was gonna happen. Every day my wife would just wake me up with her eyes wide open. Who's the band gonna be? What's our hashtag gonna be? I was like, I'm good with whatever your parents pay for. Um, I defer to Ann and Randall. Let's talk to the investors on this. Because I'm still paying off your rings. Yeah, congratulations, ladies. You get two rings. That's why we get paid more. It's a ring tax. Yeah, Beyonce didn't tell us that part, did she? 
She just said, put a ring on it. She's like, if you like it, then you gotta put a ring on it. She forgot to mention, but if you love her, you gotta put another ring on it. And then there's a ring tax you gotta keep paying. Oh, no, 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 no. We call that the save. Uh, because you went into some dangerous, dangerous territory, my friend. Yeah. Uh, and I got, I got to imagine that that, have, have you had hacklers, uh, uh, angry women come out, or, or, or are you able to save it quick enough before you're, you welcome that? Well, that's, that's where a lot of like the wording and the organization of the bit comes into play. And that is something, yeah, I had to figure out. I had the idea of it being, um, that's why men get paid more, but I had to figure out how to finesse it in there, you know? So there were, there were some sets I tried it to where there were women that would just be like, that's not true or you're sexist and things like that. But <laughs> I've had bits and there's some more racial bits in the special as well that I've learned that they had to evolve over time. But I found that if it's getting a reaction at all, then you're on to something there just because that means the audience is invested enough. They're not on their phone texting but they're actually listening and feel affected enough to respond so then you even if it's not laughter a response is still like positive feedback in my opinion well put yeah you you you've built up that tension you've also created this moment where it sucks it out of the room and if you're not paying attention oh now i gotta pay attention because he's he's up to something yes yeah. exactly yeah have you ever um and i when i first saw that part of the bit the first thing that came to my mind was did he intentionally create this moment? Um, have you ever, have you done that in your comedy in other places where you kind of intentionally do something that will not get, get laughs or get like a little bit of a groan or, or just create a, a kind of a down moment so then you can like save the day with something big or is that a strategy? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, because there's a lot of comedy and contrast, you know. So um, a, a, another example that comes to mind is I have a joke about a, like building a wall and like it the whole context is me being a dishwasher and all this and i'm like you know and after working with mexicans i will say you know we should build a wall and then me being <laughs> blonde haired blue eyed white guy saying this that that's going to evoke a reaction and then some people are like wait what what is he talking about but then i say you know i pause let that live in that moment and then say to keep them here so then the whole misdirect, <laughs> it's not to keep them out. It's actually to keep them here. Okay. But I do intentionally create that awkwardness of like, wait, did this guy just say he wants to build a wall? Wait, what's happening? <laughs> but then the misdirect, to keep them here. So, nice. yeah. That's the hardest part, isn't it? Especially when you're trying it out for the first time or one of the first few times to be like, okay, I have to sit in this awkward. I have to sit in this, the awkwardness I created. Uh, that is mm -hmm. a real hard thing to do on stage. But a lot of the times it's stumbling into that awkwardness then being aware of it and then learning how you can use it to your advantage. But yeah, that bit took a long, oh, that whole, that, that a whole chunk of racial material I have where it's all positive and really about bringing us together. But it, like a lot of things that like um, comics forget is how they're coming off on stage. So it's like, a, I mean, a, a joke I say is going to be completely interpreted one way versus if like drew says it, it's going to be com interpreted a completely different way type deal so it's just look at your material as it's your physicality is like the filter before you even say anything on stage the audience is already building your story they're already building assumptions about you 
So be intentional and mindful of how your material's coming off. Uh, I worked with Roy Albanese, who was the EP of Daily Show for like 10 years, and he's now back into stand-up a lot. But he's, when I worked with him, he was like, your material's coming off a little like condescending. He's like, you're talking to these um, grown-ups on a weeknight, and I, you're trying to tell them how the world works. He's like, you, you know, it's coming off condescending. So instead of condescension, I leaned more into sarcasm. And that was a big shift in, um, in like the tone of my material was it came off a little more sarcastic and sly as opposed to just like omniscient and I know everything type <laughs> deals. So those little shifts and I had to throw in omniscient because I have a liberal arts degree. I've got to slide in that debt as much as I can. <laughs> but yeah, a lot of it can come off as like how you're coming off and that can help to start being kind of a guiding light for the material you want to do. Yeah, so good. Uh, just before we get to this next clip, can I just shout out uh, Drinking Buddies? Loved it. Uh, a good, yeah. Some, maybe maybe that's how. Maybe maybe that's the secret to a good. I mean, to, for your grandparents, it totally is. Uh, and the line, uh, "Want to plan a divorce?" Uh, I'm so jealous. <laughs> I do. I do a lot, fair amount of material about my my marriage and divorce. And I, gosh, I'm just so mad that I didn't think of that first. So that's a wonderful line. <laughs> And just, just a fun little clip about the Drinking Buddies one, a fun little tidbit is like, I actually did ask uh, my grandparents for marriage advice who had been married over 60 years. And my grandpa said it was a lot of hard work. But then my father-in-law, um, I heard him say that like, he, I heard him talk about marriage and something about harder liquor, or he said hard liquor. And then our, the comedian brain goes off. And this is, these are probably like a few years apart, maybe, oh, of like nice. piecing these two you know, as us comedians, we're always looking, always mining, looking for those connections. So as, I, as soon as he said that, I was like, that's it. Hard work, <laughs> hard liquor. And then like I made the connection. But that's just, that's what this whole show's about is, you know, diving into the process of how you puzzle and whittle together a bit. And two completely different, like people saying different things for the sake of comedy, you can bring it together yeah. To be one unified thing just based on your life. Sebastian Maniscalco has said that he, um, he'll have jokes about his dad, that it maybe was his neighbor that said it or a friend, but him framing it as his dad just makes it funnier. Yeah. So there's ways to start to skew your material to make it more like palatable and more personal. Well, that's a great point to the, to the telling the, always telling the truth, but still remembering this is an art form and you mm -hmm. have the ability to create and shift and kind of twist the details to make it funny. But I, I'm a firm believer in that comedy should have a hefty chunk of, of truth in there for sure. You have to be able to finesse the details. And that, that's a great, that's a great example of that. Yeah. And, I, and basically the way I look at it is you've got these fragments of truth that are floating around your brain and it's your job to assemble them and put them out in, in this artistic format. Yep. And uh, like for me, like I, I tell a story about my two children being born. And when I first started, it was this child one was born, child two was born because our brain wants to go to chronological. But and the truth is I combined the best elements of both births and made it one story. And that right. became more effective on stage. It was an example of that from my writing. Yeah. Uh, you know, another thing we can't pass before we continue the clip, because we're going to talk about you crying. Don't worry, Joel. Uh, <laughs> don't start crying on us. Uh, is your, uh, your characters and your act outs. 
so you, you did a lot of fun playing the, 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 the dude, you know, why don't you, that, that character and then your grandparents. I love the, the Joel, like that's, your grandfather really says that. And that's something you probably, it's probably stuck with you forever that nobody, nobody, you find it funny. It's, it was kind of in there for you and it helps create, it helps give that character some more uh, animation and depth. Mm-hmm. Um, but the dance at the end is great. Uh, that, that's a very signature played at every wedding. Uh, and, and again, that builds you out on that, on that joke, which is great. And what I found with the dance is, um, like the more I committed to it, the funnier it got. And I yeah. still think, you know, I, I whittled that together, um, fairly quickly, especially when it, you know, it can take years to hone a bit. So I think that bit still has so much more life it could have gotten, but, um, the more it started out as me and like Beyonce and me kind of saying it. And then I kind of the next show, maybe I threw my hand up a little bit <laughs> and you could see in um, those few um, uh, behind the scenes clips that I posted on my YouTube from it. I think you can hear me talking through off stage. Like, well, maybe if I commit to it more and things like that, you start to see those nuances, yeah. but maybe it started with a hand and then a little bit of this and then actually <laughs> getting into it. I feel like if I did, the whole, like, I feel like I could have done way more with it, but it was act out to something I really want to get better at. And that bit that we're talking about was a good lesson. And like, the more you can commit to it, the funnier it becomes. And I, I think that there correlate, there's a correlation between commitment and confidence, right? So you, you get commitment and confidence mm. to the actual written bit and, and what you're trying to do there. And then the, the more you get to do it on stage, the more you get to experiment. And uh, gosh, if we were to film Trophy Husband today, I really feel like you'd have that whole dance worked out that you <laughs> for sure practicing in quarantine. Background dancers would come in from the <laughs> <Yeah>. side. <laughs> Glitter would just fall from the ceiling. Uh, yeah. No, I noticed that when I watched the documentary thing that when you first did it, and that's a great point. Like when you first try a new joke, you don't have the confidence to just mm-hmm. sometimes fully like just commit to doing a Beyonce dance at a, at a, I wrote this in the shower this morning. Let's, uh, and then just, you know, you, it's really hard to bring that full confidence the first time and to see you kind of like step it up incrementally was super cool. Yep. So those small incremental gains, you know, like we talked about just setting a goal and being intentional about it each show, they'll then add up. Love it. So we're going to go ahead and get into the back half of this clip. You guys ready? Let's do it. Woo-hoo! Let's go to Joel's, let's go to Joel's wedding. It was all worth it though, man. I tell you, the, the wedding, the wedding is like an emotional release. Like I'm <laughs> like I cried a suspicious amount. It was cute at first. <laughs> People were like, oh, he loves her. But then it escalated to, oh. (laughs) He's about to confess. (laughs) But it is emotional. I think anybody who's married in here, any man, when you... And you see your wife walking down the aisle. And it hits you. That's it. The wedding planning's over. (gasps) 
tears. Oh. And then my wife started, she saw me crying and then she started crying because we were getting behind schedule. <laughs> She's like, my parents didn't pay for your tears. It's gonna be extra. Oh man, I, I think that is probably one of my favorite bits in, in the whole thing is uh, the walking down the aisle. Um, man, I, I think the first thing that popped out to me until, I don't know, I, I did see a little behind the scenes of this on, that, on the documentary kind of stuff, but the thing that popped out to me was it was, the, it was the perfect execution of the third way. So like, you know, when you see your, when you see your wife coming down the aisle, the first obvious thought is she's beautiful. And that's you're getting choked up because she's beautiful. And then quickly, any man's brain goes to the second way, which is that's it. This is the last woman I'm going to have sex with. <laughs> and then, boom, you hit him with that third thought, which is the wedding planning is over. And I think to me, in my brain, that's why that bit is so magical because any, anyone can think of those first two. But that third one is a surprise, and I just freaking love it. Oh, well, thank you, Drew. Thank you, man. Yeah. And that, that's, I never hit. And I, the only thing I wish there was a closer up cause I was actually crying, but I hadn't, I worked hard to get to tears, but I never actually got all the way there until the taping. So I, it was kind of like, I knew once I hit this bit and stuck that landing, I was like, okay, it's smooth sailing from here. But the whole time leading up to it in that special I was like, all right, we still got to do this bit. We really got to get into it and commit to it. And it took just a long time. And that line, that's it. You know, the night, um, the night before the taping, I was in Greenville, South Carolina uh, at a comedy club there working it out uh, Friday and Saturday. So, you know, I was out of town up till the morning of. We hit the road at like 6 a.m. the morning of the taping to come back. Wow. But um, – I found that's it at the early show on Saturday. I kind of just said it. It just came out organically, which a lot of my favorite jokes have. And then I was like, oh, that's great. And then the second show, I was like, okay, how can, how can I, I listen back and was like, how did I word it? Does it need to go anywhere else? And then uh, for the special, that was like the second time I had really used that punchline <laughs> for that. But I knew it was funny as soon as it happened. I was like, I was looking for, I was looking for the tag and I found it. Oh, so good. I love that. That's just great work. And I don't know, all that, it just clicked to me in my, in my, you know, comedian brain. I was like, this is magic. This is, this is the way a bit should go. And I, I like you, how you kind of pulled together the three characters that you used, right? So you had you, yourself and your concerns about, you know, paying for the wedding. I already paid for the ring. Then you had your wife who wakes up all wide eyed being like, what, you know, what are we doing with the planning? I remember that. And Drew, I don't know if you were in this boat too. But like, oh God, that was a nightmare. Yes. Uh, I, I like tasting cake and stuff. There's some good parts to it. But, uh, and, and so you brought her back in because now she's crying and then she's got her concerns because she's into the planning. And then you brought in the investors. And I like to call them the investors. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're involved in this kind of bringing this bit all together into this one scene. So it's very visual. And uh, I like the use of characters and how you pulled it all together. So well done. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, big thing I've... I've heard is like bringing as many points of view as possible can really help to bring a joke to life more. And a lot of comics are like, well, how do I get a longer bit? Or like, you know, how do I extend this one liner into like a two or three minute bit? And it, 
can happen just by bringing in different points of view. You know, so if you're talking about something that happened at work, okay, give your point of view, but then maybe give your boss's point of view or the janitor that was walking by their point of view or a coworker's point of view, or, you know, what would an old employer have said to you's point of view type deal. So really start to give it a 360 degree view, which is why I referenced me getting booed is so funny. I just couldn't figure out how to work it into this, but that would have been another point of view to bring into it. But for the sake of the special, and I am word economy first. I am laughs per minute. I want the laughs. So if I couldn't figure it out in a way to make that made the whole thing flow, so I just I put it to the side for that. Gosh, that's painful sometimes, but you do have to do that. You got to let go yeah. of some of the what the, what's the old phrase, the murder your darlings kind of thing. Yeah. Um, also, um, oh man, I lost my train of thought. I was I was I was there with you. I was like, oh, um, point of view, so good. Something in my professional past, you know, writing for radio, we used to talk about how, you know, camera angles is what we kind of hear here framed. Like at the grocery store, there's a woman who's purchasing the items. You can see from her point of view, the cashier's point of view. And then if you want to get really creative, you're from the creative of the carton of milk on the conveyor belt. And when you start to see things from inanimate objects or different under point of views, like you really, I think you really can uncover some really fun stuff. I think, I forgot who it was, but you know, someone has a bit about, the, per, the point of view of the chair when the fat guy sits on it, you know, and that's right. just like just a great uh, mental exercise and uh, good, good to you on that one. Also, we can't move forward without talking about the word choice of suspicious. <laughs> that is, <laughs> what, how did that come to be? Did, was, did you have that from the beginning or did, were you driving down the road and one day you were like, suspicious? <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I, I don't remember how the word suspicious actually came to be. It definitely wasn't like the first choice. Yeah. It definitely was. I knew there was, I was crying so much. So I knew it was evoking some, I, I could create some sort of reaction in the audience or the people at, at my wedding were thinking, but I, it may have started out as like confused or worried, mm -hmm. but suspicious when I found suspicious and I, I wish I could remember when and how I did that. But when I found it, I knew it was it, you know, and like, like we're talking about, I knew when I said, that's it, that that was a punchline I wanted to use. Like it's, it's called sense of humor for a reason. Like I really do consider it a sixth sense yeah. that you have to trust your instincts. Comics, a lot of times we can self doubt even like, who am I to even pursue comedy all the way to like, who am I to think this is funny, but like, listen to your sixth sense, like listen to that instinct telling you this is funny. And that was one of those when suspicious, when I found it, I was like, yeah, that's it. And I knew it was something I could also act out suspiciously with like my eyebrows. So it like, right. it played into the act out and all of that. Oh, I, I missed the act out too. That, that's a good point. That's great. Uh, okay. So speaking of sixth sense, the, the way we kind of wrap up, we have a little <laughs> bit of, little bit of fun. Uh, we call it last laugh. Okay. And basically Joel, you've got your tombstone and what, what is the last joke that you want to put out there, uh, as your last laugh, put you on the spot. Yours can be a, a, an homage to somebody, one of your, your, uh, heroes in comedy. I've, I've got to be honest. Um, if, if it's on a, if it's on tombstone, it's gotta be a one liner. And I've yes. got to, I got to tell you, like, this is still one of my favorite jokes and, um, that I've ever written and it's an old one. I do it in the special. It's a one liner that then as part of a bigger bit, 
but um, what I what this this joke it was important in a few ways in my career because this was like a joke I sat down went through the entire process of um, I read uh, Greg Dean's book step by step to stand up comedy which anyone looking to learn one liners. I mean, in my opinion, that's the go-to book. I know you guys are going to have Scott Diggers on here next week, who's a comedy writing guru. He'll probably have better, even better resources. But for one-liners, that Greg Dean book, is it, it broke down exactly how to write a one-liner from idea generation all the way through the formula. And like Kyle Kinane said, you know, you got to learn how to write jokes first. I started with one-liners and over time started to evolve to be more conversational. But this joke literally took me like an hour from generating the idea all the way to mining down the punchline to actually find. And this was like a breakthrough of like, oh, this is joke writing, sitting down for an hour for a single line of dialogue, you know? <laughs> so um, the joke, it still gets a laugh every single time. And it's, I married a woman with tattoos because she's comfortable with permanent mistakes. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> it like, <Yes. laughs> it's, it's, it's like one of those jokes, it's worked almost like every single time I've done it, I, it's just like one of those I sat down and like really thought all the way through. And that really revealed to me the work behind comedy writing. That if you want to get those rich jokes that I maybe wrote it two years into comedy that I'm doing at my 10 year comedy special, you know, that's how valuable that joke is to me. So I think that would be the one I would put on the headstone just to, um, make my wife unhappy as well. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. What, I just want to, just to recap your entire, this little set piece, the, the, the clip that we watched, I want to just uh, congratulate you on taking something as, I, as it occurred to me, you take something that is so common, a, a wedding, like how many people do wedding jokes, marriage jokes. It's a very well trod area, mm -hmm. but you, you found such a perfect way to make it personal. And I love that's like to me that's I love that kind of comedy personally. I like a, when it, when it's something that's in deeply personal. And I think I don't maybe it's the fact that you're that you're being vulnerable, that it's true stories. I don't know what really puts that all together for you, but for I, I love that, and I just appreciate that it's like kind of a fresh take on something that um, a lot of people try to make jokes about. Yeah, that's so important that like a lot of. Um and that's, this has come up in the right 10 club as well, that it's like, well, that, that, that topic's been done before, but like mm -hmm. every topic has been done before. What hasn't been done is you and your point of view. And every comic wants to find their voice. And I can tell you after interviewing over 200 professional comics, after 10 years into this game, like your voice starts to appear, the more you start to bring yourself onto stage, the more you start to bring your point of view onto stage. So my point of view of marriage is going to be completely different from Brian's, Drew's, whoever else is writing about marriage. And that's the only way I heard Louis C.K. say once that like, there's no hacky topic, only hacky uh, delivery mm -hmm. in the sense of every topic is fair game. You just have to put your unique point of view and your unique spin on it. And now that becomes your bit and not a marriage bit. That's awesome. Joel, that's uh, thank, thank you for, for dropping some comedy wisdom on us today. Yeah. Uh, Drew, would we like to wrap up with some quick takeaways from the conversation? What, what you got? What are you walking out here with? 
Oh gosh, this is a tough one. There's so much um, that I loved about just like, I don't know. Plus I think because you're so connected and you've done, you've had so many great conversations, you are just a walking just bag of awesome knowledge of, uh, of comedy things. <laughs> bag of awesome knowledge. <laughs> bag of awesome knowledge of comedy things. It doesn't sound like uh, <laughs> a, good a good thing, headline. but I promise it is. <laughs> no, I appreciate now, that, Drew. Thanks. I, uh, man, I think, I think the thing that still stands out to me is um, you, you diving into the personal details and using, like you said, mining the different little bits and pieces and putting them together um, from your, like, like the, like the part about uh, the harder liquor thing um making it personal pulling it all together and i just that third way of thinking just like putting the work in and so you're not you're not taking the easy out you're working and working and that hour for the one-liner you put in the time you're eventually going to hit something that is a surprise and is personal uh, and is not something that an audience will will think of before uh that you get to the punchline Perfect. And, and for me, uh, it was absolutely what resonated most is the listening because I was always struggling with that, even though I can't really put it to use these days and in, mm-hmm. in the current situation. But uh, but even uh, going a step above that, you said, what would the pros do? And so you keep asking yourself that mm-hmm. question. Yeah. What, what would what would Bert Kreischer do in this moment? You know, another person known for drink the, vodka. Yeah. Drink, <laughs> drink lots yeah, of vodka. Yeah. But people, you know, people that are that, that are doing it and writing and, and releasing new, new specials every year, what would they do in the situation? And that's, that's very valuable. And that's, that's what you seek to uncover in your hot breath interviews, which have been fire, by the way. Holy cow. You're May. I mean, like Tommy oh Davidson, Nate Bogetsy, I mean, Mark Norman, we're, we're, we're changing contacts after this, man. <laughs> wow. But see, a lot of people see like a Nate Bargatze and I had, I had someone reach out to me of like, Hey man, can you, can you hook us up with Nate to come on uh, our podcast? And it's like, that Nate interview was like three years in the making. Like yeah. I had point, I had contacted him when he was in Atlanta filming his comedy special. The scheduling didn't quite work out. Um, and then we kept in touch and then it just timing came to be to where it then actually worked out to where he was able to do it type deal, you know, but it, it's all just staying consistent. There is no magic bullet. Like, Cedric the Entertainer, I got him because his opener referred to me because I interviewed his opener and he enjoyed the interview so much that he thought Cedric would enjoy it. So a lot of people, there's a, there's a comic in South Africa who's doing a comedy interview podcast. He was like, how do you get all these big guests? And like, how do you build your audience? And I'm like, dude, early on, just focus on putting together the best show as humanly possible. Some of my most popular episodes are not the Cedric the Entertainer. It would be like Joe Pettis who is a a show booker here in Atlanta who is known to book some of the top shows in the Southeast who just breaks down exactly how to produce your own show, how to negotiate money, how to find a venue, how to book it, how to organize the seats. And he goes into all the details about how you can produce your own show. And that's what the audience wants. Cedric is cool and Mm -hmm. Cedric is a good, um, like a, a good reference of like, if I want to interview uh, DL Hughley, it's like, Hey, I interviewed said type deal. Uh, Gary Owen, we just had on the show. And I know he's friends uh, there said and Gary are friends. So I threw that into the pitch. You know, I've had Cedric on and Tommy Davidson. So those help, but don't worry about the names. Focus on providing the best 
understand your audience and focus on providing the best content for them. And that's when the show will really take off. That took me several years to remember, but the big names will come. Just be consistent. You never know who's watching, who is maybe just sitting back to see, oh, that's a cool show. Let's see where it is in like two or three years. And then maybe, you know, then it's the big breakthrough. It's like, I've been seeing your work and now it's paid off. So yeah, now I will type deals. So just put in the work and it'll all pay off. But most people don't want to do the work or don't want to hear that reason. But that is, that is the secret sauce is just put in that work, stay consistent and it will work out. And you highlighted the, basically the importance of the vouch. I mean, it's true here on this platform as it is in, in getting booked. So that's great. Mm-hmm. Joel. Yeah, being you, professional like you guys are, just to, just to tip to you, sorry to, I didn't mean to cut you off there, Drew. I know we're trying to land the plane, but it is <laughs> like what you guys are doing from a perception wise, two episodes in, I know you guys have a plan to like do a season one, which I think is great, but it is like the professional polish. You have branding, you have a website, you're, you're not just like sending someone a DM like, hey, let's talk comedy. It's like, no, we have a platform. We're professional. The interviews are very well done. The quality is very well done. So quality people will want to be on a quality show. Yeah. Thank, thanks so much for that. Thanks for coming on. Joel, you're, you're an amazing guest. You have so much knowledge to share. I would say definitely in the top two uh, <laughs> of our podcasts ever, if I had to rank, uh, that's where I'd put you. Well, I didn't cut you off like Andy did. Andy's like, all right, I got a phone call. (laughs) This this seems important. Then he's on a rotary phone. (laughs) I I had Rodman, one of my early episodes, he's like episode nine, Rodman cut me off 30 minutes in. He was like, "Uh, how long did I allot this time? And, you know, me, (laughs) brand new to podcasting, I was like, oh, that's right. Oh, we can all right, we can get out of here. He just like shut it down, right? (laughs) But it was all a good lesson learned. Well, do tell everyone how they can find you. You have a lot of things up in the air at one time. You're, you're a very busy guy. Let everyone know where they can find you. Yeah, joelbyerscomedy.com will be the best place to go see the special, get links to the podcast and like the writing courses I do and all of that, joelbyerscomedy.com. But really, for, especially for comics listening, if, if you want like the easiest way to get involved, like go on Facebook, search Hot Breath, comedy network and it'll introduce you to that comedy writers group where we're in there doing the like you said the daily writing club we're doing monthly joke contests we're doing q a's in there like it really is just like the the network i wish i had when i started in comedy to help me keep improving while also being supported by my comic peers so if you're struggling in covid right now where you're looking for just ways to keep the juices flowing that i can't Beyond even listening to the podcast, just join that group and just, yeah, enjoy. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, man. Absolute pleasure. Uh, and I think we've both been fans of, of your work for a while. So it's really great wow. and, and thankful that you, uh, you came and joined here early uh, and been a, an early supporter to Breaking Down Bits. So thanks again for that. Wow. Thanks, Brian and Drew. It was an honor to uh, be on here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming, Joel. All right, y'all, thanks for joining. Everybody have a great weekend. And uh, next week we'll be back with, as you mentioned, writing legend Scott Dickers. We're very excited about that. So y'all take care. Thanks for listening to Breaking Down Bits. You can keep in touch or get more when you follow at Breaking Down Bits on social media. Visit the website breakingdownbits.com. 
or shoot us an email at breakingdownbits at gmail.com.